0: Thank you for this hour. Uh, thank you for this day, oh God. Um, we, many of us are feeling weary, battle torn, had long difficult weeks and we long to be refreshed by you, oh God. And so we pray that that's what would happen today. That as we worship you and as we seek to honor and glorify you, that you graciously would give us new fresh energy and alertness and Love for you and love for neighbor. We long for your rest, O God. Help us to enter into it. And as we study this subject, help us to rightly understand it from your truth. And we ask that you would be glorified. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, so it's the beginning of a new quarter. So we're shifting gears into a new subject. Um, Pastor Corey and Jameson did a a great job to walk us through some... uh, Christian history to help us to see how God has been moving throughout these centuries. And it's been great to see. So we're shifting gears more into the subject this quarter of biblical counseling. I have just started the certification process for ACBC, which is a biblical counseling organization. And so the aim is really to help all of us by kind of sharing with you, um, some of what I've been learning. Um, the reality is that while we are looking to train people to be biblical counselors, the reality is every single person is a counselor. Um, you're a counselor. Even unbelievers are counselors. They just give counsel from their worldview, right? And so because we're all counselors, for the most part, everyone tries to give advice, right? We don't just sit there and say, hmm, that, that seems hard. We try to give some sort of helpful advice. And we can either draw from the world's wisdom and the world's philosophies, or we can respond by sharing with our our friends and our family members what God says in his word, okay? So that's that's the aim, is that we'll help everyone to be biblical counselors. Some may do it more formally, whether you're a pastor or a d-group leader or just a biblical counselor, but in the end, everyone should be equipped to help people apply God's word To their lives. Amen. So what we're gonna be using as our guide in our conversation is this book right here. Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. Of course, ultimately we're using this book, the Bible. But this will help guide our our thoughts and our conversations. You don't need to get it, but if you want to get the most out of these next 13 sessions, you should get it. It's an incredible book. And I'll be doing it chapter by chapter every week. So we're just gonna do chapter one today. Next week, if you want to get this book, which I highly recommend, read through chapter two before we get together. And again, that's how you're going to benefit most from this, okay? Again, it's called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul David Tripp. Fantastic book. So the chapter starts out talking about the best news that we could hope for, right? So let's think through real quick. As an unbeliever, what is the best, what are some examples of the best news Than an unbeliever can can hope for in any given day there's no really one right answer what are some what are some examples yeah jean amen getting that promotion moving up in the moving up in the world good what else what's the best news yeah mike winning the lottery lottery. okay okay a little a, a big leap from just getting a promotion but yeah sure sure good what's one more What's the best news that a, someone who doesn't believe in the Lord can really hope for? Yeah, Fabian. Long died and now they got oh, no. Why are all these money related? Uh, he said you get an inheritance, right? Yeah. So that's really, when you think about it, that's the best news unbelievers can hope for. The reasons that they get up in the morning are going to be very limited. What about for Christians? What is the best news that Christians have hope in? Yeah, Michael Pope. My sins have been forgiven, I'll be with the Lord. Amen. My sins have been forgiven, I'll be with the Lord. Amen. What's another one? Yeah. The Christ sanctifies us. That Christ sanctifies us. Good. Yeah. He takes us from our old selves that were God-haters, and he makes us more into Christ's image. Good. So, in the next part of your outline, to get the news, you have to understand the story. Outlines, by the way, are on the second rows of each of the, the sides there. To get the news, you have to understand the story. Let's think through the fall, okay? What are some things that, for example, what did the world not have before the fall? What was not in the world before the fall? Good, sin, what else? Death, Death. what else? Suffering. Suffering, good. And we can pan that out to a bunch of different things. Physical ailments that people have, mental struggles that people have um, broken relationships um, pride uh, all of these things were not in the world before the fall what about man's relationship with god what was that like before the fall what was man's relationship like with god before the fall it was perfect and what did that look like christian the perfect relationship What does that look like, a perfect relationship? Yeah, you said their relationship with God's perfect. Like, what does that mean? What does that... That means that God was walking with uh, Adam and he was doing
1: what Adam was doing what God wanted him to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that there was no, I'm
0: going to do my own thing. Right. Yeah, so Adam was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. Uh, They walked with him in the cool of the garden. There was no... There was nothing to repair. Everything was a perfect situation between humanity and God. Creation was
1: perfect. Our sin, our, 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 personalities were
0: perfect. Our, our soul was perfect. Yeah. Our souls were perfect. Or Christian, or what, what did you say the, the first part uh, creation, was creation was perfect. Creation was perfect. There was no, there were no issues. There were no earthquakes. There were no floods. There were no blizzards, right? Creation was perfect. Um, we didn't have any weird, sinful idiosyncrasies in our personalities. Those were perfect. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's kind of, it's, a, it's amazing to me, but
1: reality is, is that when Eve fell, the whole universe fell. hmm
0: great point. Yeah. Christian said, I'm just saying that just for the recording's sake. And in case you didn't hear him that after the fall, it wasn't just that Adam and Eve fell or the garden area fell, but the entire universe started falling into, uh, entropy. That's a great way to put it, brother. So that was the relationship before the fall. And then Adam and Eve, of course, they sinned against God. Adamson in particular plunged humanity into the fall. So what was the world like after the fall? <laughs> <laughs> like perump. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, okay. Cleveland, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mike. There was and the curse then on our uh, on our labor, so Chris specifically said and that there was work before the fall, but it wasn't the sinful hard arduous toil that it is now after the fall. Yeah, work is work is difficult now. F- what's your name, miss? i May. Yes, May. Pain and suffering is in the world now. Yes, Christian. I I think that yes, there was work before the fall, but the work was to honor God. Once we fell, then we wanted to honor ourselves. Mm, Right. So work before the fall was honoring, was to honor God. Work after the fall is about gaining glory and serving ourselves and taking care of our own needs. Right? True. True. Uh, Let's see what else here. What happened to human relationships after the fall? Think about Adam and Eve. Yeah. yeah. So all of a sudden there's tension. There's a lack of trust. There's a lack of um, uh, lack of understanding. understanding of the, the fact that they needed to cover themselves, even though they were husband and wife, they needed to cover themselves. There was something broken in this relationship, a lack of understanding. Hmm?
1: Remember the, the
0: between uh, Cain and Abel? Okay. Cain yeah. And That's right, Cain and Abel, a great example. Um, Cain is jealous about uh, Abel's sacrifice and how God received Abel's and not Cain's, and Cain commits the first murder in history. Adam and Eve, um, what is the curse on, on the woman after the fall? Child pain and childbirth, amen. And w- Disobedience, her desire shall be for her husband, which is, uh, I think, rightly understood to mean that she's going to want to take over she's going to to want to rule over him um so yeah and so you have that and then on the other hand when you look at just like the commandments two husbands from two husbands about their wives husbands don't naturally live with their wives in an understanding way they don't typically lay down their lives for their spouses that's why they need to be commanded to do so otherwise there would be no need for that Um, when it comes to not husband and wife but just generally between people there's selfishness, there's competition, there's rivalry, there's bitterness, there's clamor. There's just all sorts of things that have entered that broke human relationships. What, what other issues do people now have since the fall? What issues do people have ever since the fall? David? Death. So death, absolutely, Ricky, Victor, Ricky and then Victor, oh, okay, Victor and then Ricky. The illnesses. Illnesses. Mm-hmm. Like a lack of. Because without God, you don't really have an idea what you're. Supposed to be here for. Like a purposelessness. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we see that in the richest, most famous people. Because I think what they did all of their lives was try to climb up to the heights of fame and power and riches. And once they got to the pinnacle, they realized that what? didn't matter. It didn't fulfill me like I thought it would, and they end up becoming depressed. So we see a lot of celebrities fall into depression because they realized that what they were going after was actually empty. So we have all sorts of these issues. We have now these, these struggles that we all face that we may consider. It's not necessarily sin per se. It's just part of the human condition, and that's a result of the fall. The human condition is is sinful, that's right, that's right. It's kind of how we're responding to the weaknesses that we have. Our bodies breaking down would be another one, right? We're we're struggling with that. Now, what happened to man's relationship with God after the fall? We talked about with each other, but what about with God? It was broken, right. There's a disconnection. It's hatred, right. The Bible doesn't say that man... Um, was neutral towards God. It says that they had enmity with God. They hated God, right? Yeah, so there's this division. There is no access to him. God needs to grant access to his people, but humans in general don't have access to him, though people think they do. They presume upon him and think that God should listen to all of their prayers and that he should treat them. And if they were to die even without believing in his son because they were generally good people, they think he should allow them into heaven. So man's relationship with God after the fall was broken. What about um, man's relationship with God's law? What happened to that after the fall? Man's relationship with God's law. Right. Yeah. In a way, in a sense, you're right. They didn't have the law as in the codified written word. But in another sense, you're right. It was written on their hearts because we're made in the image of God. And Cain knew not to kill Abel, even if there wasn't a commandment to say, don't kill him. Right. So before it was just, this is how he lived. Adam, if, if Adam had not fallen, if Adam and Eve had not fallen, they would have lived in perfect accordance with God's law without even trying because they didn't have a sinful nature. Right. And so after the fall, suddenly the law became to us an accuser. Here's everything that you're doing wrong and here's everything why you can't be right with God. And eventually it showed us our need of a savior. But before then, it was it was a burden to us. It was burdensome to us to try to keep God's law. And that's a result of the fall. Now, what did God promise to do as a result of the fall? What did he promise to do as a result of the fall? What did God promise? hmm be thorn and there be str- strife, there be difficulties. Amen. The Amen. So you have these curses that come as a result of breaking that covenant that Adam made, that God made with Adam. So there is definitely the curses. What else did he promise to do in terms of, like, grace? He promised to save us. He promised to save us. And- yeah, he he promised to save those who would be his. And we see this in a, in a shadow in what we call the first gospel, which is in Genesis 3. And it actually comes in the curse to the serpent. Because the serpent had deceived Eve, the curse on the serpent was that the seed of the woman, Eve, would crush the serpent's head. And yes, the serpent would bruise his heel. So it's again, if you only read that, you're like, "Well, I okay, like And it seems like maybe Eve had some confusion with that as well because she, there's Abel and then Abel gets killed. But then Seth is born and she says, thank God. She's given me, he's given me another heir, another seed. So it is in shadow, but it it is a promise hidden in that particular promise or rather curse on the serpent that God is going to make it all right. He's going to repair what was previously broken. But that's, this is the, the setting that we're in, the fall that we're in. And so we now move to the next part of your outline. Now for the best news. Now for the best news. Let's turn over to Mark 1, verse 15. Mark 1, verse 15. And as I read it, be prepared to answer, what was the purpose of the Savior's coming according to Mark 1, 15? Mark one fifteen says this. Let's do verse 14 and 15. Now after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So according to verse 15, what was the purpose of the Savior's coming? To call people to repent, in the good, good. So call people to repentance, call people to believe the gospel. What about before that? Or rather, in the verse earlier than that? To bring the of God. Who, who said that? Yeah. To bring, to bring the kingdom of God. He says, The time is fulfilled. Other translations say, The time is here. It's finally here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. So, what we see is, this was promised. And it was, and it was shown throughout the Old Testament. It's coming. It's coming. God is going to bring his kingdom to earth, and then the Savior comes, and he says, the time is fulfilled. It's right now. It's happening right now, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, why should that give us hope to get up every morning? Why should the fact that Christ came to bring God's kingdom give us the hope to get up every morning? Amen. Amen. So we know we have a Savior. We know he's looking out for us. Good. What else would you add to that? Why should the fact that God's kingdom is here in Christ and spreading get you up in the morning? Yes, sir. Yeah. He won't, he won't grow tired until he brings justice to the earth. And that gives us comfort that he is actively doing that. And that also gives us a, a reason to get up in the morning because we have an end towards which we're going, which is the kingdom full, like fully realized and fulfilled. But also we get to experience this concept every single day in our lives. It's something that is an ongoing thing that's happening as God saves more and more people through Christ, and as more believers are being transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And as you, a believer in Christ, are being part of that, being transformed into the likeness of His Son. That's a hope that unbelievers don't have. But that's the purpose that unbelievers don't have, And so sure that should give us hope every single morning. Let's take a look at next at, um, I don't want to skip this question. Um, what are some things that, that God said in the Old Testament? That indicated that he was going to restore what was broken. What are some things in the Old Testament that kind of hints to us or just says it outright? He's going to fix everything that was broken in Genesis 3. Albert. The fact that God is shalom, shalom needs to bring everything back together. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you said that God is um, restoring shalom onto the earth. Uh, He is. uh, Shalom is is not just like the peace in general. Shalom is like peace in every possible way. We could describe what it was like in the Garden of Eden as before the fall. That was shalom. That was peace with God, peace with each other, peace in the situation that we're in, and he is restoring that. Good. What else in the Old Testament indicates to you that God is going to fix everything? Yeah. Wow, amen, amen. Um, I want to, just because you're far away, I want to read that again. What are the verses you read, Isaiah 2? Uh, yeah, uh, Isaiah 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, because there's going to be no war. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, Neither should they learn war anymore. Amen. That's a great example. And we see that actually in the Tower of Babel. So the the problem started in Genesis 3, but it continued to expand and get worse and worse. Like, for example, all of humanity banded together not to obey God, but to actually rebel against him and think that they could climb their way to heaven. And God's judgment at the Tower of Babel was to confuse their languages and to spread them up into different nations. But what we just read here is that all of the nations will come to him. So there is a reversal of what was broken again. Good. The, the examples of, of God promising to restore everything are, are many. Um, Revelation 19, 6-8. Let's take a look at that. Revelation 19, 6-8 gives us a peek into the end towards which we're headed. Revelation 19, 6-8. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." So first, let's consider what are some of the things that they're not singing about? What are they not singing about? Things that we think would be just so great. Like, hallelujah, my son became a lawyer, right? What are some other things that they're not singing about? Earthly things, yeah. Like what? But what are some of the things that we crave and long for and we think that that would just be the greatest thing? Money. 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 Yeah. Hallelujah, I finally funded my 401K, right? Like, yeah. Again, these are blessings from God, don't get me wrong. But that's not the end to which. That's not the purpose. That's not the end that we're going to. Instead, what are some of the things? What is, what is this passage that I read? Revelation 19, 6 through 8. What does that tell us about the end to which all things are headed? Let's take a look at it. What does that tell us about where we're headed? It looks like it's actually Jesus who is preparing his rise. Amen? We're headed towards the Lord, marriage of the Lamb. Good. What else about this end is stands out to you? What are we headed to? We will be holy. Oh, amen, brother. We are going to be holy. It was granted her, the bride, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, and the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And that's The righteous deeds of the saints are are being done right now as Christians are doing the works of God and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This is the end to which we're going. I mean, is anyone here just sick of their sin and longing for not having it anymore? And you can actually, even though you'll never flip two hands with a Christian, amen, right? With, we won't actually fully realize that here on earth, and yet we can experience it in greater measures as we continue to make war on sin. And, and become more like Jesus Christ. But the end to which we're headed is holiness, perfect holiness, sinlessness. And that, that gets me up and out of bed in the, out of, every morning as well. What about um, What are some things in, in the Christian life that can seem hopeless, but they actually can change because Christ has come? What are some things that seem hopeless? Michael. The death of a loved one. Mm, amen. Yeah, so the death of a loved one. It's like, yep. What else seems hopeless sometimes? What about um, when we pray for people for their salvation week after week, and it's just like, how long are we going to pray for this person, for their salvation? Can that feel hopeless? Good. What are some other things that can feel hopeless? Yeah, what do you mean by that, Julie? He says circumstances. hmm When
1: will things change? Yeah. Then even that, uh for myself leads me to uh, uh to remind I remind myself, Lord, I know one day I will finally be delivered from my service So even if you don't deliver me now, I know you're able to and and one
0: day I will be delivered where I won't have to deal with anyone. Yeah, like difficulties, trials, tribulations. How long, oh Lord, are we going to go through this? It just feels like it's never gonna end. Christian. Just to tag on to that, there are things that are going on that nobody in here can do anything about. Yeah. All right. As George Carlin famously said, it's a club mm-hmm. and we're not in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the club is committing all sorts of evil that we have no control over. That's why I turn to God every day. Amen. There are people in power who are doing things that we as people in this room can really have no impact on directly. So these things feel hopeless, but there is hope because Christ is king he has come he's brought his kingdom and all of these things we have hope that he's going to change so when it comes to the death of a loved one if they're in Christ their death is not permanent as a matter of fact they're in the spirit with the Lord enjoying him right now and they will be raised in, in glory in the future um, when it comes to our circumstances like you said do we believe that because God is king because Christ is king that he can take us out of those circumstances but even if he doesn't that he'll use it for his glory and for our good. And that one day he will remove us from those circumstances by bringing us home, right? Um, the salvation of other people, again, it can feel hopeless. We pray, we pray, we pray. But how many times have we seen God act in a marvelous way to bring people to himself? At least as many Christians in this room. As, at least as many Christians in this room. And then other people who we've prayed for that God acts and then I think one that we'll probably focus on a lot is that it feels like our battle with sin, it, that feels hopeless sometimes. It's like, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? And everything that I hate is what I do. And it makes me wonder, am I ever going to have victory over sin? Because Christ is king, yes. Yes, we can. Like every, every day we can have more victory over sin. And in the end, it'll be perfect. Julian. Amen. Yeah. But right. See God's hand in our
1: those
0: they may never right. So Julian brings up Romans 8:28 which talks about how uh, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And if you stop reading right there, then you may have uh, expectations that God has not promised. Like uh, one example I've given recently was, um, you know, my, I broke up with my girlfriend, but that means that God has a better girlfriend for me. And that might not be the case. But what is guaranteed is that he's going to use your pain, your suffering, to make you more like Christ. And that's the, that's the good that we're striving for by God's mercy, right? Um, Another thing too, so individual, not just yourself, struggle with sin, but what about your spouse's sin? Or what about your brother's and sister's sins in church? Do you have hope that because Christ is king, that they can actually change? The same hope that you have for yourself, that you can change. The people in your life can change as well. If they're unbelievers, God could save them. If they're believers, God is saving them, and he will make them more like uh, his son if he will have patience. And the same is true collectively, then, as as a church. Um, The 1689 Baptist Confession, the second one, um, says in the chapter of the church that if you are not satisfied with something, uh, don't leave. Don't stop going to church. Wait on the Lord, because he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, sometimes church can be frustrating. Our expectations aren't met. It is a society of saved sinners. And because we're being saved, we can have hope that First Baptist Church of the Lakes, by the word of God, should be more mature 10 years from now than it is today. So don't leave. The problem is if you leave and you're the mature Christian, we just lost a strong part of the body. Right? So don't do that. Don't do that. Do do your part to help this church grow. So... We have this best news. Not only is the best news something that happened in the past, which is our justification, but we also have this best news that we, he is continually transforming us. He is continually restoring what was broken before. That is great news. Amen? Now, our news must be the good news is the next point in your, in your outline. And the idea here is that whatever we are telling people, whenever we're helping people, we need to be pointing to what we just talked about. We need to be pointing to Christ, we need to be pointing to what he's done, we need to be pointing to what he is doing, and we need to be pointing to what he will do in the future. The only place that hope is found is Christ himself. Now, what do we need to understand intellectually in order to have hope that circumstances and people can change? Yeah, what do we need to understand in here to have hope that people can change and our circumstances can change we have to all be to look at ourselves. amen so we see ourselves as an example yeah, yeah. I, i'm not who i was the moment from i'm not who i was when i got saved i'm different now you should be too yeah i saw him gene Yeah, trusting that God is going to work in people's hearts. So um, the guarantee for Christians is that is the case. You have the Spirit dwelling in you. You will bear the fruit of the Spirit over time. Yeah, Sheila. Uh, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. it. Amen. Julian and then uh, Daniel. Daniel and then Julian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you hear other people's testimonies and how the Lord has worked in their life, that gives us uh, courage as well. Julian. Yeah, what do we need to know intellectually in order to have hope that circumstances and people can change? so you know that God's going to glorify himself. Yes. So yeah, a- everything that will glorify him he's going to do. That that is important to know as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So understanding that everything that ends up happening is how he has Ordained by His wisdom, good, perfect counsel is going to work out, Christian. I, I just I want to be careful here because when
1: we think about He's going to work all things together for good, we may slip into the thought that it's a prosperity gospel. Right. It's a word of faith. The basic fact, folks, is that all things working together for our good may be that you just die. Okay. Well, the living
0: Christ puts God's giant hands. Okay. So. Right. You know, they die, that's, it. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And Christian just reiterated that all things works together for the good could mean that you go through suffering and even death, right? Let's go Sheila and then Tita Korah. I think we have to remember that ultimately the good is to glorify Christ.
1: Yeah. He changes us, makes us more Christ-like, but at the same time it's to glorify Him. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean the good means more money, a bigger house, health, mm-hmm. all of that
0: stuff like Christians saying. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, I'm going to have and I'm going to get. Yeah, good is, good is not wealth. Um, I mean, we, every, every coin is a blessing from the Lord, but Julian and I have been reading through Proverbs, and one of the things that was recently came up was asking God, God, don't make me rich. Don't make me poor. Please, just help me to eat exactly as much as I need so that I don't forget about you and also that I don't steal. Right. So it's like, just keep me where exactly where I need to be. Right? Tita Cora. You should remember that sanctification is, is a process. Amen.
1: And also remember the good old days when we said that be patient with me. If God is not yet done with me. Remember
0: that expression? I like it. Maybe not. Yeah. Okay. So she said. And s- peace and peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sanctification is a process. Be patient with me because God's not done with me. Amen. Yeah, that's important to remember, because again, if you're, if you're wondering why you haven't defeated sin as of today, it's because it's a process, and you should thank God that you are, in some ways, less sinful than you were before. Um, so yes, knowing these things, understanding that God is sovereign. We are a church that holds God's sovereignty very highly. We talk about it a lot. Do we accept it in our everyday lives in the little things? Do you believe that God is sovereign, that your marriage can be repaired? Do you believe that God is sovereign, that you can finally stop with a pornography? Do you believe that God is sovereign, that, uh, that the person that you haven't talked to in years, God can mend that relationship? That's the hope that we have, because God is completely in control of everything. And beyond that, if you're a Christian, he's promised these things to you. Not all of those things, but growth, Christ-likeness. He is saving you continually. So that is good news for us. And we need to have our hope in Jesus Christ. Um, The risk of turning to systems instead of turning to Christ is that these systems that are in the world are temporary. You can have a system that will help you to stop drinking. And you don't even have to be a Christian for that. But But the change that you experience in that is not necessarily lasting. It's not necessarily permanent because I mean, even people who have gone through AA years later, they still call themselves alcoholics. They still acknowledge themselves as those who are that. And so the change is just behavioral. Um, you may have experienced that yourself, right? I'm just trying to change this bad habit, this bad behavior of mine. So I got this process in place. I'm doing that now. And then it just kind of fizzles away eventually. So when you're helping people, when you're counseling them, it's not bad to give good advice. But you need to recognize that if lasting change is going to happen, they need to run to who? They need to run to Christ. They need to run to their Redeemer, who not only has redeemed them by forgiving their sins, but is continuing to redeem them by the Holy Spirit making them more like Him. So whenever you're helping someone, you need to point people to Jesus Christ. you can even have this danger of, uh, okay, somebody's struggling with anger, What does the Bible say about anger? And just kind of treating this as a reference book. What's the risk of just looking up all the verses with anger, but not tying it to Christ? What's the risk of that? Yeah, Albert. Legalism, good. I'm not going to be angry because it's sin to be angry, the end. As opposed to, I'm not going to sin in my anger because my Savior never did. And I want to be like him, right? He died for my anger, my sinful anger, good. Yeah, so we don't want to use the Bible as this kind of a reference guide for what does the Bible say about this. We should be seeing that this is a story about Jesus Christ, and only in him will we have any hope for any kind of change. Let's think through why hope rests on a person. That's the next thing on your outline. Why hope rests on a person. We need to understand the problem before we can find the right solutions. When you take your car into a mechanic, they don't just start ripping your engine out. Hopefully, like, you don't just pull up and they're like, like what do they do first? Diagnostic test. Diagnos- they got to try to figure out what the problem is, right, before they find the solutions. Now, how does the world understand the problems of man? Because they, f- they see man has problems. How do they, how do they um, explain why men, have, men and women have problems? Yeah, Albert. Everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's fault. Yeah. It's society messing with them. They just need to rise above it. Yeah. They need to stop listening to these other authorities. They just need to self-actualize, right? What are some other things that the world, ex- their explanations for why people have problems? Yeah. The big thing is how bad things happen to good people. Yeah. Where we see that no, good things happen to bad people. Right. Yeah. Bad things They say, bad things happen to good people, and that's why I have issues. That's why I am the way that I am. Bad things happen to me. When the reality is, good things, God shows mercy, even on bad people like you and me. So the core problem that we have is not our circumstances. It's not our disorders. It's not our uh, past. It's not our, to Freud would say, our sexual fixations. The problem that we have is sin. That's our core problem. Psalm 51.5 says, let's look at that. Psalm 51.5. David says this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Uh, did we just start being sinners at some point in life? Like, did I just start being a sinner at 10 years old? When, when, did, when was I a sinner? I was born in sin I was immediately a sinner and while I may not have come out of the womb lying um, I sinned as quickly as I possibly could have right we sin uh, somebody put it rightly this way they said um, we don't we're not sinners because we sin we sin because we're sinners so you didn't become a sinner at your first sin it was because you're a sinner that you first sinned does that make sense so sin is the issue that we're really facing with. Sin impacts the way that we think, sin impacts the way that we feel, sin impacts the way that we act. When someone sins against us, we sin back. We respond sinfully towards the sin that they committed against us. And so we need to recognize too that we need a redeemer. That's why we look to a person because the systems won't solve the problem. We look to a person who is willing who is going to redeem us out of all of this. Now, our pasts, of course, have a, um, have an impact on shaping us. Our pasts do have that. But what is the danger of blaming our pasts for how we are today? What's the danger of that? Why is, uh, why is blaming our pasts for how we are today? Why is that dangerous? Gene. Yeah. We just keep hanging on. We, we can't move on from it. We can't change. S- same thing, Christian? Yeah? Well, I mean, it's good. We need to deal with our past, Daniel. We're, we're, we have a new identity. Yeah, we have a new identity. That's not who we are anymore. Mr. Pope? Uh, scripture says that Jesus was a man of and that in he was tempted every way, I mean, if anybody has a past to complain about, it, it'd be Jesus. Yeah. If anyone had a past to complain about, it would be Jesus. The devil literally tempted him in the desert right? While he was hungry. Yes. Yeah. Blaming our past rather than our sin. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we need to not be pretend that our past didn't happen, but we have to recognize how did we deal with our past? How did we process the things that we were going through? How am I thinking about them today? Right? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. but people can sin against you Yes. Right? and you carry that too forever Absolutely. and that is something that teaches us
1: that we don't have to forgive we can't understand you know I don't, I don't think you can fully understand that unless you learn how to forgive Christ's forgiveness to you you're not really understanding
0: it if you can't forgive you can't forgive I'm sorry I'm, I'm not sure Right. If you yourself, I mean, that's what it's all
1: about, right? I mean we've been right. forgiven
0: of so much. Right. These things that are small. Yeah, that's right. In so to what Christ has been through. Amen. We should forgive. Amen. But if you're hanging on to all that, you're not gonna forgive. Yeah. So Sheila said that, you know, it's reality. People have sinned people sin against you. People have sinned against you and it impacts you and you can't deny the fact that it impacts you. Uh we we have the ability to forgive because we've been forgiven, is Sheila's point. Because the Savior ties his forgiveness of us, God's forgiveness of us, to our forgiving other people. He says if you don't forgive other people, your Father's not going to forgive you. And I think if we, if we dug at that, that enough, we're, what we're talking about is you haven't really understood what forgiveness means. You, you may not actually have trusted in Christ for forgiveness if you're unwilling to forgive other people. Now we know in the flesh, it's difficult to forgive. But if you're just like completely shut out from even considering it, um, like that servant who's like, that guy owes me 200 bucks, pay right now, right? That's, That's indicating that you haven't realized that you actually haven't been forgiven, right? So yeah, we need to deal with our pasts, but we need to also recognize, how am I dealing with it today? God will not excuse your sin today because of your trauma in the past. You're, if you're sinning today, you've got to deal with your sin today. If you dealt with something sinfully before, you have to repent of that, okay? Let's think about, so anyway, tying that all back in. Because of all of that, we need to hope in Christ. He needs to be the, the, the motivation for change. He needs to be the source of change. We need to recognize that he's promised those things. Look at this last section. What sin does to us? What sin does to us? How do toddlers demonstrate for us our sin problem yeah tantrums good Good. what else yeah i mean do is there original sin i just look at a toddler and say yeah (laughs) but how is that like what does that look like you don't got to teach them no one teaches anyone to lie at least usually no one teaches anyone to disobey their parents. It's just you see that it's an innate desire to do so. So the author of this book, which if you missed it, I highly recommend, and this is what we're going through. So if you want to get the most out of this, get this book and read chapter 2 for next week, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. The author tells a story of his toddler where he tells his toddler, don't touch the outlet. It's, you could get really hurt. Do not touch that. And do you understand? Yeah. And then he's like, okay, well, I don't know if he understood or not. Later, the toddler's over by the outlet and he looks at dad, looks at the outlet, looks back at dad and dad's just pretending like he's not noticing this. But then what, he, what really amazes him is that the toddler looks back at him one last time and then he goes for the outlet, right? So what does that tell you about the toddler? He knows, he's, this is an innocent curiosity. He's going because his dad told him not to, right? And, disobedience is in our nature yeah that's right and so from this uh, illustration he he shows us how sin does three things to us the first thing is that it produces rebellion in us the kid wanted to go to that outlet because he was told not to what about us as as adults how does sin produce rebellion in us what does that look like You ever have just this like this immediate urge to just not obey the government regardless of whether it's right or wrong, right? Christian. I don't know why I'm having to work on this
1: job. I can't believe I'm working on this job. Why is this
0: so difficult? Why is my boss so difficult? Why are my coworkers so difficult? Why, why? <laughs> so just general discontentment and not wanting to submit to your bosses and the fact that God is the one who put you there. Good. Sheila. Yeah. Sometimes if Marty calls me out on my sin, I want to say, Well you do it too. <laughs> so Marty I just I don't want to receive it. Right. Yeah, so correction. We want to uh, we want to ignore correction. And another thing that has stood out in Proverbs is the idea that it's foolish to reject rebuke. You want you should want people to tell you what you're doing wrong, right? Julian. yeah right right so we're supposed to try to help each other become like christ but when somebody tells us something we're doing wrong our first our first fleshly interaction reaction is Ugh, what do you know you're a sinner too don't judge the bible says don't judge right um, so yeah, that's that's a good example. So rebellion is uh, the first one. The second thing that sin does to us is it produces foolishness in us. So the kid was told you're going to get hurt if you touch the outlet, but in foolishness he wanted to go touch it anyway, right? What about for us, even as Christians? How could how does sin produce foolishness in us? What's an example? Like All right. Yeah, someone tells you. <laughs> Yeah. So rejecting rebuke and just yeah, turning it back to the person? That's foolish. Good. How else? Yeah, Julian. Would you say uh this is a good example when
1: uh we have a worldly way of
0: viewing things and instead of addressing our 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 ignorance, we just like no, I don't want to I don't want to see things biblically, so I'm just
1: going to see things worldly and it does produce foolishness. Mhm.
0: Just like, go, like listening to the world's wisdom, basically, yeah. which is just foolishness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, w- one real-life example we see very often is young people getting very lonely, really wanting marriage. They know it's foolishness to go after an unbeliever, but they're going to do it anyway because they're in love, right? It's foolishness. <laughs> it's sin. You would, you would go after a Baal worshiper instead of a Yahweh worshiper? That's sin, right? Right?
1: Mm-hmm. us with is that the youth are always right.
0: Right. Listen to the youth. How dare you, Christian. Exactly. How dare you? Yes. <laughs> You've taken my childhood. <laughs> there are people in our church that have been given advice by older people and those younger people said, Now nah, I'm do my way anymore. Yeah. So ignoring um the wisdom of the previous generation. It's foolish uh the one example i I always get them mixed up it was either jeroboam or rehoboam one of solomon's sons he gets advice from the elders the older people say how should i rule and they say just back off and they're gonna love you and said i don't know so he asks his friends and they say go even harder than solomon and he goes all right let's do that and it ended up being terrible just like just like the older people said good i saw a hand up somewhere julian Good point. Yeah, I would say kind of, let me find a middle ground there, because Julian's got a good point. He said, just because an older person said it doesn't mean that it's always the wisest way to go. Um, But on the other hand, not everything is necessarily immediately described in Scripture. For example, if you are not married, you're dating, you're engaged, if your car stops, get out of the car. Don't stay in the car with your fiance or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. That's just my wisdom that I want to pass on to you. <laughs> is that in the Bible? Does the Bible say don't stay in the car? No, I'm just saying I'm not dumb, right? That's a tempting place to be, a parked car. Cars should always be moving if you're in them, <laughs> okay? So again, this is an example of um, that's my piece of wisdom for you. I, I'm not saying that's law. I'm saying that you're dumb if you stay in there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Where's that in the Bible? Romero 1-1. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. <laughs> okay. Good wisdom from Christian. If your car breaks down on the highway, stay in the car. Okay. Good. That was a rabbit trail. Uh, but I, but yeah, sin makes us foolish. Sin makes us not want to listen to people. Um, sin, wants, sin makes us not want to uh, take rebuke from the scriptures or listen to older people. So sin produces foolishness. Also, sin renders us incapable. Sin renders us incapable. What evidence do you have in your own life that you're incapable of stopping sinning on your own? because you keep doing it right you keep sinning and that's that's the struggle that we all have it's this Romans 7 struggle that everything that i want to do i don't do everything that i hate i do who will save me from this body of death sin renders us on our own individually incapable of actually stopping sin and therefore who should that drive you to it should drive you to christ we always you know sheila said this to me like years ago and it's just rattling in my brain forever it's that if you're a believer or an unbeliever, the answer is the same. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. Because you're incapable of, being, of transforming yourself. You can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But you can't transform yourself. Only God can do that. Now, knowing that information, knowing that all of this, let me just ask you one final question. Understanding all of this, how should that help you counsel other people? Yeah, knowing that only Christ can do any kind of meaningful transformation in someone, how should that help you counsel people? One. Amen. You gotta know Amen. You gotta know the Word of God. You gotta know the Word of God. Part of the Great Commission is not just to make disciples and baptize them, but to also teach them to observe everything He commanded us. It's you need to know the Word. Julian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to add to what he said, to say that, keep in mind the word says faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the of Christ. hmm Yeah, faith comes through hearing and hearing Through the word of Christ, good. Yeah, Steve. So counseling people to confess their sins to God and to, and to ask for his help because they're not going to do it on their own. Absolutely. I'll, ju- I'll just part with this, this closing thought and before I pray, it's that whatever you're counseling someone or discipling someone, the aim is Christ-likeness. The aim is not simply behavior modification. So if someone comes to you and they're struggling with some sin, the answer is not, stop it, right? I mean, immediately they need to stop it, yes. But the end goal is that they become more Christ-like that they become further along in their journey. And that's what we're called to do, every single one of us. So let me ask God to help us. Lord, we truly are instruments in the hand of your Son, and we pray that you'd make us good ones. As we go through this together, help us to rightly understand what your will is for us and to help people to take one step closer to your Son in every instance that we possibly can. We can't do that on our own, O God, and neither can those who we're helping. We rely completely on your spirit. Mold us into the likeness of your perfect Son, O oh God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you all.